Hello, welcome to the ASME Diversity Podcast, a podcast all about starting and continuing meaningful conversations about diversity issues in medicine and healthcare. From the latest thinking in the field to exploring the everyday stories of healthcare professionals. I'm Rhea George, one of the directors of ASME and the lead for diversity and inclusion. In honour of International Women's Day, I'm joined today by three inspiring women who are our guest speakers. Professor Minnie Singh, who is a professor of medical education at the University of Manchester and a consultant dermatologist. Dr. Davina Maru, a GP trainee and the recent winner of the Asian Women in Achievement Awards. And lastly, Miss Neely Mozawala, who is a specialist diabetes podiatrist and the founder and UK national campaigner for No More Hungry NHS staff. Minnie, if I can start with you, how has being a woman shaped your career? Being a young medical student, thinking about what career I'd like to do and what I would enjoy. My aspirations for family were really, really strong in me uh, from a young age that, that I wished to do that. Um, I actually thought about being an anaesthetist at one point and uh, thought I might be really, really good at that. And then I realized by doing an A&E job that actually... I'm hopeless in immediate situations and that I need more time to think and reflect. Um, and I did bear in the back of my mind that I wanted a family and am I, am I going to manage shift work, things like that, realize having done six months of an A&E job in Chang Cross that I'm not that good in the middle of the night. Um, and that was important because I thought that I could do anything, but realizing where I was best and where I was worst was really, really important for me in my personal identity as a doctor, but also as a woman. So um, I was very fortunate to still have a seed of an experience of being a dermatologist when I was um, a medical student and going back to that and thinking, okay, this could work for me. I could see how it could work from what I want for family. So career decisions, I think, um, are probably the main things, how I chose them. Saying that I wanted to have children instead of doing a degree, PhD degree. And I remember my peers as a dermatology trainee saying, oh my God, you can't do that. We, this is a really big academic unit. You can't say that you, you don't want to do your PhD and you want to have kids. That, you know, that potentially won't go down really well. But I did say it to the professor and I'm very grateful for his open honesty. I said, you know, before going down the route of applying for grants, actually, I want to have kids now. I'm 31. And there are reasons why I would like to have kids. I'm not sure it's a good idea. And really open-minded. Well, he was like, well, fine. There's never a good time to have children. Go and have children. See how you feel about research later. Um, and we'll see how it goes. It's better that you you follow what you want to do. So those sort of experiences, I think. How about for you, Davina? How has your career been shaped by being a woman? I completely um, agree with Minnie in terms of it does determine um, what career path you go down. But also, I found um, role modeling was quite an important thing. And whether you had that workplace mentorship and support around you. And as a GP training myself, um, I had aspirations of developing that sort of portfolio career, doing a bit of clinical medicine, a bit of education, a bit of health policy. And that's why it's really important to have these women in these leadership roles. So you feel like you can reach those goals and those positions um so that's how being a female but in the workplace having role models around me determined my career pathway as well 
and it's, and it's so important actually to have people that you can look up to and that you feel you can have mm-hmm. that sense of resonance with how about for you Neely how has your career been shaped by being a woman um I think I definitely agree with um what Davina has said about role modeling I think you know I was in a place where I had amazing role model and women around me like for example I had this amazing woman named Susie Spears and she was a consultant pediatric surgeon and she was such a kind supportive caring woman and you know when you're put into a leadership role like for example with my campaign I was just automatically put in a leadership role wasn't expecting it all I could go from was the leadership examples that I've been given so I've been reflecting on my career and thought right I like the way like they lead and I will use that as an example for me to use as a leader or I don't like the way they led at all it was awful so I won't use that Um, and as a result I try and be a caring kind supportive leader who's empathetic and, and actually leads like inspires people rather than you know just being like a delegator and telling everyone to do the work for me and I think that's really important and I think also as a woman um I guess from my surgery days it's it I, I found it I found like I had to work harder in a way than my um male colleagues to be taken seriously uh so I guess that's made me even more stronger and determined like once I've made a decision I'll just go with it there's no way anyone can stop me so um uh, my mum calls that stubbornness I call it you know determination so (laughs) we agree to disagree there uh so yeah and as a result like I I I run for things so there was a time when I was trying to I was kind of looking at medical advertising for a bit and I really um wanted to explore that so I emailed like 100 companies and called them to get experience and I think that was like two weeks worth of ringing and calling to get that experience then I realized okay it's not for me um and also even even my surgical placements it was like I think I emailed everyone in London and then within the south region to get that surgical placement and experience um and driving like two hours to get there every week to do it um and it's you know it's amazing how being a woman makes you shape yourself into this like a strong determined person who's kind and caring and it's great really you you don't think about it until you actually ask that question so the personal qualities you describe in being a woman such as kindness and being caring for example have they ever been perceived in a negative way as a weakness I see it as a strength but there was a time especially in surgery I feel like people saw it as a weakness being kind because I was in Um, I'm not trying to generalize surgery by the way it's just my experience that I'm talking about but um, when I was working in surgery it was a very much cutthroat environment Um, there was quite a lot of bullying and everyone was kind of um, unkind and horrible and and if you were seen as kind I guess in a way they saw you as someone who was a pushover um, and a bit weak and that's that took and it took me strength to be like, no, I'm kind and I'm not going to put up with this bullying and I'm going to get out of this environment because this environment's not me and I'll find a career which is more suited to me. 
And I have found a career which is more suited to me. And I, I, you know, I'm with patients who love me being kind. I'm not in an environment when people see kindness as a weakness or pathetic or anything. And I think in a way that was strength. Kindness is a strength because you have to be kind in an environment where you're taught or conditioned not to be kind. And I thought this is not the environment for me. There's no way I would ever not be kind to someone. So that's why I left. It was interesting, Neely, that you mentioned some challenges that you're experiencing, because I still remember my first job as a foundation doctor, and I was working in the trauma and orthopedic team. And the surgeon basically referred to all the females as girls, whereas all the men were referred to by their name. So it was really annoying and really probably hurtful to see this unwanted sexism and gender bias in the workplace, as it can cause us younger female stress, lower productivity and negativity towards like career progression in that field. Um, and women shouldn't really be expected to be more resilient in the face of sexism. Um, it shouldn't exist. There's culture change that needs requiring and there should be basically zero tolerance to these behaviors and suitable reporting mechanisms when it does happen. Um, but I found like despite this heightened awareness of workplace sexism, it still continues and we still have a long way to go and it requires ongoing vigilance. Um, I think addressing both males and females own behavior and attitudes and driving change is imperative to resolving these hidden gender gaps in the medical profession. And it's really vital for us um, future generation doctors coming in um, and to ensure that the staff feel really welcome, there's a good appropriate culture between males and females, and we're really treated and rewarded fairly and equally for our work, regardless of our agenda. Um, so I think there's still some work to go, but it, both males and females need to change this culture to have an institutional change. And you raise an important point about male allies and having people to support you in helping you feel that sense of belonging. Minnie, have you had experiences of male allies helping you in the workplace? Yeah, so thank you. Um, it's really interesting hearing the other two speak, and I couldn't agree with them more, about, about how you find you have to fight to be true to yourself. I mean, that's what really I was hearing the narrative. And I've had a definite battle with that through, through my career. Um, and even outside the career, in, you know, as a working mother, um, I now have teenage children, but that, that male ally thing is an interesting one because it's something much debated when I became a young mother and I was part-time. I was determined that I wouldn't be full-time while I had children that needed that additional support. So I was part-time for many years. And it was interesting because it did cause a tension between us, those of us who were part-time and for me, in my residency training program, it was the women. There were three of us who had children about the same time, and there were other trainees who didn't have children. And I think that tension continues to exist, that unless the males speak up and the mothers choose to be part-time, I mean, this was before paternity leave in the state that it is now, and things have improved, and I've now seen people take paternity leave, um, or both partners, both parents take it, and I think that's a huge step forward. But actually, it was a real debate, my husband, to say, no, you need to stand up and say, actually, I have to leave and go and get the children because my wife is at work and it's my turn. 
And if you don't say that, the culture won't change. Because me saying it in my own working place became like a broken record. And I definitely think there were debates. So this is about 14, 15 years ago, debates amongst peers about the husband, the wife, and who speaks and who doesn't, or partners. It doesn't matter if it's husband, wife, or husband, husband. But you know, that both parents say, I have to go. I have to go get children. Otherwise, it becomes a one-sided thing where actually the person who takes most of the child care on is made to feel in the workplace that they're somehow less of a person for leaving. And that's definitely experience that I've had as a parent. Um, but even, you know, if you have other things to do, it's not that you're less committed to your work and your job. It is that you're juggling a different way of doing it. And that is okay. What I think is a struggle that I've experienced is, is that being okay and having to voice that. And if it is voiced, how is it received? So it's an interesting one. So Nina, you talk about kindness and, you know, and maintaining your core value of kindness. The other side of it is um, seeking those role models or seeking those colleagues who recognize where, when you're saying, no, I cannot do this, or yes, I want to do it differently, that's not perceived as to be too ambitious. Negative words are associated with that mm. for women. I still find that as a professor that, that, you know, and what, 20, 30 years into my career since qualifying for medical school. And I think it's beholden to all of us to actually say, well, actually, no, they just want to do it differently. Mm. Um, but it's a difficult one. You do have to find allies and where you have allies, hold on to them and explore your relationship with them. That's what I've, I've found has been really helpful to me. And you touch upon the challenge of juggling the many hats that we as women often have to balance. Minnie, how have you managed to juggle the differing priorities in your life as a woman? Uh, really, really challenging, actually. I found it really tough. I found it um, that the biggest mistake I made when I look back when I was a bit younger as a young mom and before that as a junior doctor was not giving myself enough time to think about who I am. That's my biggest mistake. Now I'm in a different place uh, for whatever reasons. Life experience, you know, children that hold me to account and make me reflect, teenagers, or, or just, you know, I don't know. Having mentors, I think that's really important. Seeking out mentors that you make me realize that that reflection and stopping and thinking about who you are and what you want is really, really important. I went through my young years, it was all about get this done, become the doctor, pass my membership, do this, do this, constant sense of achievement being the way forward. And all this, and and that may be an age thing as well, depending on your your phase and how you feel about that phase in life. But actually, I, I think the biggest thing has been that actually pause and reflect and try and identify who you are and give yourself space to do that has been the most important experience that I've had. And I've become much better at doing that um, and saying, actually, I'm juggling so much. I need to pause and go, which way is the right way for me? Before I used to do which way is the right way. But I think it was other people's definition. It wasn't, the for me wasn't attached. Um, And that it's okay to do that, even if other people are challenging you about it. How about for you, Neely? How do you manage and juggle the different plates that you have in your life? I think as a woman, you're kind of expected not to complain about it and get on with it. That's what I feel. Um, And, you know, don't complain about it. Get on with it. Everyone else is doing it. (laughs) And you you kind of take in all of that and then you just 
um, end up getting stre stressed. Um, and I, I try and talk about it now. I think, um, you know, I'm very well um, spoken about my anxiety, which started after leaving surgery. During that time, I was bottling everything in and it made it really hard. And um, now I've learned to talk about things and that helps me, you know, it's really nice because it means you're processing it with someone or, you know, a close one. And that helps me juggle things. So, um, you know, I'm juggling at the moment my daytime job with my campaign, with other things I've got going on. And it, it is a challenge, but just having that support system around me, like amazing, inspirational women who you can call friends and you've got amazing family that all make such a difference and I don't I could not do anything without you know them around me and that's so important and all I say is have a good support system around you and you can do anything you ever ever dream of. I'd agree with you Neely support is vital as a woman you have so many roles and facets to your identity and having people to talk to can make a huge difference. How about for you, Davina? How do you achieve a work-life balance? I think a key thing um, is flexibility within the workplace to help you balance your roles, whether it's your career goals or career with life, um, like if you have children, for example. And it's that practical difficulty surrounding maternity and childcare and trying to juggle a portfolio career all at the same time. And we need that flexibility within our NHS or organization to assist us basically, because then we get really lost what, what's our maternal identity, what's our career identity. We shouldn't really be segregating it. It should be all combined together so we can enjoy it or we should be enjoying our work because we can have the flexibility to be with our family and enjoy our life as well um, and it has been found that the lack of flexibility in postgraduate like medical training has negatively affected females well-being and that's why a lot of the people leave training or there's a problem in recruiting people in the NHS for example because of that lack of flexibility poor well-being and uh, we really need to change this and it's the way we work um, in addition to all this mentorship and support and then support each other or FEMA support the well-being and come together having that support network and that's why I actually joined the Medical Women's Federation when I was a junior doctor which was um, basically it was founded like in 1917 it's the largest body of women female doctors and they do networking events they have mentorship opportunities and that's where I met uh, many of my role models and actually one of my role models is um, Nikki Kanani and she comes from um, a BA BAME background too but she got to a very high leadership role within the NHS at such a very young age too and had never been seen before and that actually gave me the push to actually apply for roles um, that I was way younger I mean, I was I was actually the youngest appointed national clinical champion um, in the whole of the UK for the That's Oxygen. amazing. Congratulations. Was, yeah, thank you. And that was it. I applied for a role I, I knew I thought I probably can't even reach, but it's because people like Nikki Kanani went at for these national roles at such a young age. I said, why can't I try? There's no harm. So I think you need those role models, flexibility and support networks. Definitely. And Minnie, I'm wondering, who, who has been your role model in your career? Oh my gosh, so many. 
um, so many in different ways. Uh, so I have to say that, that, that one of my earliest memories of role model is a, a professor of dermatology, John Hunter. And he, he taught me, and Dr. Tipperman, he taught me my two weeks in a medical school in Edinburgh placement. And that experience of those two, the way they were enthusiastic, passionate, the way they interacted with their patients exceeded my choice of career. Um, and it is true that literature says it, but it's true that role modeling is so influential, positive role modeling, but negative role modeling is also influential. So I've kind of, I've had both as well. Um, so there was John Hunter, there was the professor of dermatology, Chris Griffiths, I talked about in my experience about, you know, the tension between my identity as a want-to-be mother versus my professional identity. Um, I have to say my sister is a huge role model. It, she's quite similar to me. You know, you have that thing of whether you'd be friends with your family if they weren't your family. <laughs> I would be friends with my sister. So she's into art and, and a, a lots like me. I, I love ceramics and art and paintings and things. And she happens to be a medical uh, professional as well. So really inspired by some of the challenges she faced. She's five years older than me, so she went through things quite ahead of me. At one point, I thought, I always, from the age of 10, I, I knew I wanted to do healthcare. I knew that I probably wanted to do medicine because I was so fascinated by the human body and that sort of young understanding of it grew and grew. But then my sister entered medicine and I was, what, 12? Yeah, I was 12, 13 when she started medical school and she found it really, really hard. And I was so thrown. I was like, oh my God, if she can't do it, how can I do it? So I started looking at other careers. And I liked science and physics. I was looking at architecture, engineering. And I remember being 16, going to work experience with Marconi Defense Systems, which doesn't exist at the moment, and standing in front of this picture, this drawing, and the guy was explaining that it was the Exocet mess. It was a design for the Exocet missile, which uh, was used in Falkland. I'm sure my age, Falkland Wars, and afterwards, it was a, like a really big deal. And and I just stood there, went, "What am I doing? I don't want to make things that kill people. This is crazy. What am I doing here?" Um, and, and I spoke to my sister and she was like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Clearly want to do medicine. Well, why are you so scared? And, you know, Neely and um, Davina, that goes back to the role model that you talk to them and they remind you of who you are kind of thing. And that, that, that definitely through my whole career, I, have, I couldn't possibly do a podcast about, about women on International Women's Day and not mention my, my own sister's. But interestingly, I'd like to just say about negative role models in a funny way. It took me a while, but what I realized I see you can have role models that don't gel with you and they actually influence you just as much. And it can be really, really negative. But I remember this point, it was first year dermatology registrar. And I remember someone senior to me saying to me about how they practice medicine and that I now had the opportunity to get, you know, role model lots of different people. And in my head, I was sitting there thinking, but I don't want to be like you. And you're the one who's telling me to learn from other people. And it really struck me. It's actually, it's my choice whether I take someone else's views and practices on or not. And it sounds really ridiculous. And it shows the hierarchy that I'd set myself. It's not just medicine. I'd set it myself as a woman. I think I had this sense of I have to be a certain way that actually dawned on me. No, it's my choice, actually. And, you know, I really relate and resonate with Neely and Maru about some of these things. Um, but, yeah, that was kind of eye-opening to me, that negativity can be turned into positivity. One of the questions I wanted to ask you all was about success. 
What does that word mean to you? And how has your definition of success changed over time? Minnie, if I can ask you first. Yeah, oh my gosh, that is something that's very close to my heart. So it has it has changed so much since I started out my journey at school in my young days. And, and you know, I, I grew up in the British education system uh, with Asian parents, with this sense of history of my family being academically very strong. Um, particularly, it was always about grades and always about, well, what did you get? And you'd be like, oh, I got so and so percent. And they're like, were you top of the class? And I'd be like, no. <laughs> they're like, why are you not top of the class? And that's a really culturally strong voice that came through when I was younger. I was fortunate enough to um, apply to local schools. I grew up in London in Finchley. I was a you know product of Maggie Thatcher's MPism. <laughs> and um, and then when it came to secondary school, I'm the youngest of two siblings, and my parents really, uh, three siblings, sorry, uh, no, two siblings, three of us, I can't count. Um, and um, my parents were really keen that we all went to different schools, so we had our own identities, and I think that was a really good thing that the parents did um, for us, and I realised later on the power of that. But I remember wanting to go to the school that my best friend was at, and she was my neighbour, and my parents said, no, 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 this is not the best one for you, and I was a bit upset with them, and they put me in a different school. And I was really mad at them because I wanted to be with Eleanor, my best friend. And actually, it was the best thing they ever did because I had the space to grow. I had the space to understand what success looks like, but still hung on. It was so powerful, hung on to that success is doing well in exams. Success is collecting grades and things like that. Now, if you ask me what success is, success is being happy, whatever that looks like. I mean, that's a completely different it's, it's taken me a long time to move away from those origins. Success is what actually makes me and my family happy. And my family consists of me, my husband, and two children. But if it was me or my, or my siblings, what does happiness look like is what success means to me now. And simplifying, actually, this world goes too fast. And I feel like I have to go with it, but actually I don't. I have to go at my own pace. So all those sense of achievement, getting your membership, getting this, getting that, um, it really is about actually, does it actually make me happy? And I don't know what that definition is, is in 10 years time. So it will change again. It's really interesting hearing um, Minnie's background because I came from a completely different background. So um, I had one parent who didn't go to university. I was first in my family to be a doctor I went to a rough state school so it was just an achievement oh yes I'm actually doing well in life so but my definition of success changed before it was getting into university getting a good job trying to increase my sort of status in life and then it changed to similar to what Minnie said it's funny we came from different backgrounds but now it's coming to a similar definition what makes me happy what basically what do I value um what do I feel that I accomplish is what I actually want to feel happy and do, if that makes sense. It's not these next goals or anything like that. It's what do I feel happy doing? And now I choose what career sort of path I want to go to. I choose the job that I want to, whether what job I want to accept. I choose it around my lifestyle, what makes me happy. So it's interesting, different backgrounds, but we've come to the 
same definition about what does success mean it's really what makes you happy so I just want to pick up on what Davina said I you know I totally agree with you Davina and that's probably why you know it's really interesting to have those different backgrounds I came from a you know several generations of, of university and and you have to study and um it was really interesting for me is actually my father was very different to my grandfather and to his brother, because actually my father had a daughter and uh, two daughters and a boy, and he was always about you all have to have the same, otherwise I'm not doing it. Whereas he came from a from a generation where his father was all about the boys and the daughter was married off at 18. So you know we call it traditional. That's what it was of its time. So I think it's accepting who you are and accepting that what makes you happy is relationships. That's what I wanted to say, picking up from uh, from Davina's point, is actually it's relationships that are powerful and make you happy. It is not what you achieve. But it took me a long time to get there. I um, unfortunately suffered from postnatal depression with both the children, and so I lost my way along the middle um, of my journey. And um, and that actually threw it out. I couldn't internalize it. It was, you know, I focused on what the external view of, the, of me was. And it was a really, really hard journey. I'm really lucky to have had personal, professional mentors, a family that's been really, you know, I, I am lucky that the other half, a really solid family to, to believe in me. Um, and it's taken me that journey, actually, you think about silver lining and clouds, then maybe actually being unwell has helped me identify truly what matters. But I, I've come to the realization, the way I internalized it was actually it's okay because what matters is relationships and that does that crosses all boundaries of who I am. Mm -hmm. um, and I see these things through that lens and actually that makes me much happier. It helps me make sense of things that I find challenging. So I think um, for me, it was a real struggle personally. I think after I left surgery, that was my identity. That was my external identity. And I thought at that time that was my internal identity as well, because I just, that was that was it like you know because I'm so determined it has its cons as well where you're like this is what this is the picture I've painted for myself so when that I thought that's my happiness when I, once I'm a surgeon that's it that's everything's rosy I'm happy I'm you know cutting bones for some reason that makes me happy I don't know why but um yeah so once that finished um that career went I I went really down and that's when my anxiety just rose up and I started getting panic attacks and I didn't know who I was I was completely lost um and then I and then I realized that everything the reason why I'm feeling anxious is because I painted everything upon surgery like my whole identity was in it my my who I am as a woman like my success my failures everything was on this one point so that's when I decided that my identity is actually who I who me being happy is about me being happy me being at peace with myself me realizing that you know something materialistic like surgery is not not the thing that can make me happy um and as a result, I, that's why I ended up making this well-being and baking group called Baking Medics to show people that actually, you know, there's other things to you because you get people messaging me and being like, oh, I didn't know I could do something other than medicine. Like I can actually bake and I'm actually good at it. 
And, you know, baking really helped me with my anxiety and helped me realize actually I've got so much more to myself. And then now what I consider as happiness is me baking and giving cakes to other people to make them happy, you know, cooking for other people, me being a good daughter and looking after my parents. Um, uh, only maybe because I'm just their favorite, but they might not admit to that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, me actually, um, I love I love changing things so my campaign's all about change nationally and that makes me happy as well me lifting you know helping other people up as well and you know mentoring and teaching other people makes me happy um me being a podiatrist and looking after my patients makes me happy and there's so much more to it and I'm so glad I found that now and that it it, it feels like a whole something a huge weight off my shoulders I can't explain to you and I hope people who are listening to this realize it too one day that, you know, it's not just your career, which is your identity. And I think the reason why I found my career as my identity was like, just as Minnie said, you know, growing up your, your parents, because they never, like my parents didn't have an education. They didn't go to university. But when I was growing up, it was all about university grades, your career, your career, your career. Um, and then when I felt like, oh, my career that I wanted has is going, that's why I, I, I just went down. But no, there's so much more to us. And as women, we bring so much more as well. Thank you, Neely. You all have such different and dynamic experiences. For those who are listening, what are some of your key learning lessons and advice you would like to share to support others? There was a quote that one of my mentors had said is follow your passion and don't let gender be a barrier, but let it be a strength. And I used to write that on my wall, actually, at university. You're going to be more happy if you follow your passion and then work won't feel like work. You'll feel more fun and you'll be more happier doing it if you're doing something that you enjoy. And when we're talking about this whole happiness aspect, what I find is that we have such high expectations for ourselves and sometimes you just have to realize there's always going to be that higher rung in the ladder and over time your targets are going to constantly change and we have to really move away from that end goal because there is no end goal of happiness at the end we're all trying to uh, try and achieve it but we're never going to really reach it because our target is just going to change so it's kind of just really define your own terms of success in terms of what makes you happy, what are you passionate about, what are your core values, and honestly, don't let your gender be a barrier. I'd probably like to, there are two things that um, really stick in my mind. And I say this to myself when I doubt myself and I say it to, to medical students, trainees, others around me in that, you know, kneeling, you're lifting people up with you is actually be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself because you want to be kind to others. And, and that what kindness looks like, you'll define it. But give yourself a break, basically. And um, I think we can be really harsh. I think as women, we can be very harsh on ourselves. Um, mm. And I've experienced that through my friends, myself, uh, family. You know, but we, we do put, put these really high targets ahead of ourselves and then beat ourselves up when we don't reach them. And actually, there's no need to. There's no need to. We're good enough as we are. Just being, you know, being a good person, trying to do what, as you said, you know, what your passions are. That is really amazing to do. 
And the other thing is, and this is quoting a doctor, Professor Pippa Tyrrell, and I, this is a conversation in the car park. Don't you think sometimes the best conversations are in the car park on the way to work or the way home? Um, and I was telling her about some idea that I had that I wanted to create, but I just was in my mind because I couldn't possibly do it. And she said to me, think big and be patient. And what she meant by that is if you have an idea that you believe in, then think it, let it be, let it grow and follow it through. But be patient while other people catch up with your idea because they may not understand it. So may come across as naysayers or they may you know, come across as obstructive, but it's just they haven't caught up with you. So be patient with them and bring them along with you. And actually, you know, that conversation happened about seven years ago. And the idea that I had is now implemented and working and I'm having a fabulous time with it. It's around educating primary care colleagues um, and their decision making. And, and, you know, if she hadn't said that to me, I probably wouldn't have really pursued it. I would have thought, no, I can't do it. Yeah. How about for you, Neely? I think... Um, have a belief and go with it. Don't let anyone tell you you can't do it. Don't limit yourself. Just, you've got something you want to go for and aim for, you go for it and no one will ever stop you. Just keep going for it and you'll get there. That's what I'd say. And I wish I said that to myself when I was younger. I wish I had someone to say that to me. Thank you everyone for sharing your experiences and your advice. It's been so interesting and I hope for those who are listening that you feel encouraged and inspired. On behalf of ASME, I'd like to wish you a happy International Women's Day.